one step in this long progress. It's been a team effort by us all the way. We're but part of the whole team that's worked so hard. The shuttle era will come to an end. But they won't stop inspiring, and they won't stop being a part of the fabric of America. We choose to go to the moon. everybody to another episode of the Talking Space Podcast. This is Talking Space episode 531 for the week of Monday, October 7th, 2013. I'm Sawyer Rosenstein and joining me tonight is Gene McCulka. Welcome, Gene. Hey, sir. It's been a busy week. Actually, it's been a busy two weeks. We were uh, we were away for a little bit, but we're back and boy, do we got some stuff to talk about here. Oh, yes, we do. And welcome as well, Mark Ratterman. Hello and three, two, one. Three, two, one. That can mean a lot of things. But let's get right into it. And, uh, oh, there's not going to be a lot of three, two, ones out of NASA at the moment. In case you haven't heard, the United States government shut down on the 55th anniversary, in fact, of NASA's creation, which was October 1st. Before I toss this to Gene, I just want to point out something pretty interesting. And this is from Slate.com. Of the percentage of workers furloughed by agency, which ones were affected the most? Well, the tie for the top three. Here we go. The top three. The tie for third place goes to the Education as well as the Environmental Protection Agency, both with 94% of workers furloughed. Next is Housing and Urban Development, which has 96% of workers furloughed. And the number one agency, which has the most workers furloughed by percentage at 97%, is good old NASA. And uh, there's a lot of angles to cover on this one, so I'll throw it off to you, Gene. Yeah, wow, Sawyer, there is a lot of angles to cover on this one. Well, I'm going to try to see what I could do here. I actually got a note here from a from a friend that follows me on Twitter uh, over in Europe, and he basically asked asked, and I'm going to quote the letter directly. Um, I was just curious, looking at all the NASA websites falling down on the net. I read something about the federal government partial shutdown but it's not clear to me what this all means so i said let me try to ask my friend from the other side of the ocean and that's all um well uh i wrote back to to the to this gentleman um and i tried to go ahead and explain what's going on first i'm going to go ahead and spare the whole politics of the situation um (laughs) About maybe, let me see, a percentage, and this was given to me on the radio news just this morning, really about 17% grand total of the U.S. federal government is in effect shut down. But Sawyer, as you pointed out, 97% of those that furloughed have NASA badges, uh, which means that a lot of the, the, the websites we all know and love are down. A lot of the other things we all know and love, love are down. Social media is is basically cold. Um, but not only that, uh, a, you know, NASA itself is basically dead in the water right now. Uh, there are folks monitoring missions and so on. Like, the, the, don't worry, folks. The ISS is not going to fall down or anything like that. Uh, you still have folks in the Mission Control Center monitoring the ISS, making sure it's in good shape. Uh, making sure that the crew is in good shape and so on. But you also have a lot of missions that were uh, at risk. One of them was uh, NASA's MAVEN mission, which was scheduled to launch on November 18th. Now, MAVEN stands for Mars Atmospheric and Volatile Evolution Spacecraft. And how NASA got under that because I believe right now it's at, Kennedy, at the Kennedy Space Center being prepared for uh, its launch, on, which is projected to be on November 18th. The way NASA got away with this 
is it essentially said, look, we've got an emergency. You know, not Maven, if we don't get this thing off the ground, I believe it has a 20-day launch window. It has to launch between November 18th and I believe December 7th is the last final day Maven could 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 launch. If it doesn't, we have to wait until about 2016, which is also, you know, at the, the year two, we were going to launch another lander uh, called Insight. Now, Maven's critical in that it's going to support curiosity and opportunity, and I believe Insight also as a communications link. I also think, too, that it's involved in the ExoMars program also as a comm link. So, you know, if this thing didn't get off the ground, you know, a lot of missions, including one that is uh, assigned to the European Space Agency, are kind of sort of at risk here. So uh, there was a little bit of a loophole that was found and funding was allocated to for workers to continue preparing that spacecraft for flight. But um, we almost lost that one. And that's just a small indication of what's really, really going on behind the scenes. A lot of things that uh, uh, we, we, we've, we've kind of sort of take for granted, not just the social media stuff, because a lot of radio stations have been touting that, oh, oh, darn, you know, as, as, as see, this is just an inconvenience and that's really about it. The answer is no. Your, your space agency, if you live in the United States here, has essentially ground to a halt, okay, and probably won't come back until this whole, you know, storm here is uh, is over and done with. And folks, I have a feeling this is going to be a long time before we actually, uh, you know, this this storm is over. Uh, a lot of things are unfortunately, uh, you know, un- unfortunately just not working here. You know, Mark, Mark, you had something too that you wanted to go ahead and throw out uh, with reference to this um, going on. Since you're you're in Florida over at the Kennedy Space Center, you wanted to go ahead and remind some folks about something going on over there. Yeah, sure enough. Um, I think I saw this on Twitter, wherever it was, doesn't matter, but it was a mention by somebody that Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex is still open. And it ne- never even occurred to me to think that there would be any effect. Well, there is an effect, but the Visitor Complex is open. What they don't have access to is some of the bus tours that took you through the gate and out onto the uh, Kennedy Space Center and to the Naval Air Force Station. So some of those bus tours are out, but the visitor complex is open. There's plenty to do, and especially with the new Atlantis exhibit that opened in June, uh, I wouldn't hesitate to uh, to plan on spending a couple of days there, you know, even without the bus tours. And just as a little extra bonus, if you're not traveling or planning to go to the Space Coast, and you have high hopes that when you do get there, that this government shutdown business will be over and gone. But in the meantime, you'd still like to learn some things, look at some things that you don't have access to, because many, many of the NASA.gov sites, you <laughs> you hit that page that says, sorry, we're closed. So go to YouTube and search for Explore Space KSC. That's also the name that uh, the Visitor Complex uses on Twitter, Explore Space KSC. And when you get there, you'll find on YouTube their videos, among which they've recently, oh, I'm going to say in the past, a little bit over a month, started a series, and actually it started over two months ago, but the first one I saw was about a month back, and they're tagged Tell Me a Story. And you'll see some astronauts from different points in the space program talk about, uh, oh, it's a two-and-a-half-minute type video of of these astronauts talking about their experience. One of them is Scary Moment in Space. Another one is Preparing to Launch. Another one by Charlie Walker is Things Can Get Dangerous During Launch. So take a look at these videos. I think you'll find them interesting. Uh, One of them reminds me of an interview that we had with Mike Mullane because he was on the same crew as one of these astronauts that's talking about a a common experience on Discovery's first launch attempt. So 
take a look at YouTube, Explore Space KSC, and the visitor complex is open for business. If you're able to get there and, and go visit, please do. I know you'll enjoy it. You'll have lots of things to talk to your friends, family, neighbors, and strangers about. Hopefully generate some excitement and a little bit more indignation about what the impact of this government shutdown has been and something that's of great value. Thanks for the reminder there, Mark, that uh, you know, even though the government is shut down, the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Center is still open for business there. Interesting thing, though, is that the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is, I believe, run by Caltech, is still open for business as well, which also means that their website is up, but it's not being updated. Um, it is, But it is up and running. Uh, one of the other things, too, and, and Mark, you kind of sort of reminded me uh, to, to mention this, uh, K, the KSC Visitor Center apparently is picking up the slack uh, for uh, some space goodness out there and, and is also doing the same thing on uh, its social media outlets, Facebook, Twitter, and so on. There's been a core group of, uh, of, of, the, uh, of the space uh, social media faithful that's been sort of picking up the slack too. And uh, they've been using the hashtag, at least on Twitter, of uh, – you know, hashtag things NASA might tweet, I believe is is what they're saying. And they have been been really, really animate about getting content out there. They've apparently stored stuff that they've had and pictures and photographs and, and mentioning NASA as far as uh, what's been going on in, in even in other outlets uh, uh, that they've been able to find and posting that information out there. Um, even, you know, if it, you know, even as it relates to, uh, space and, and astronomy and Mark, as you alluded to the, the Kennedy space center visitor center. So, um, if you're following on Twitter and you're, you're trying to still find some, some NASA goodness, uh, you know, look for, uh, look for us, obviously, but, um, also look for, uh, for that hashtag things NASA might tweet, because there's been a, a really, you know, upwelling of, of folks that have been, been trying to pick up the slack from where where NASA left off. And it, it's kind of a coordinated effort, which is which is really, really surprised the heck out of me, in all honesty. It, 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 it's uh, 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 been a, a, you know, uh, just just an amazing effort by the folks that really, really care about the U.S. space program out there. And uh, I'll, I'll, I'm just going to take my hats off to him. Thanks a whole lot, guys. Exactly. I mean, this is what we've been talking about on a long time for this show, is NASA really did not do a great job of promoting themselves, but I, I can say now that years ago, they've improved since we said that. Because, I mean, just look at the impact they've had. Not only the fact that they're not tweeting now, but the fact that there's all these people going, oh, well, NASA would be tweeting this if they were open because they recognize what a social media presence they have. And I'm glad that it took social media to finally get NASA to realize, hey, we've got cool stuff. We can promote ourselves. We can make ourselves look better. And they finally did that. And it's great. It's sad that it took a shutdown and 97 percent of their workers being furloughed for that to happen. Yeah, I got to agree with you there, Sawyer. And uh, again, I've got to go ahead and give hats off to Veronica McGregor who started that whole firestorm way back when during the Mars Phoenix mission. And uh, uh, Veronica is one of the uh, public affairs folks over at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in, in Pasadena there. And I'm going to give her a tip of the hat for actually you know, really, really discovering the magic of social media and what it's really done for NASA and kind of sort of also uh, others taking that template, other, you know, companies and what have you trying to take that template and apply it to what they're doing so um uh you know again you know hats off to veronica for 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 putting nasa on that path and hats off to nasa to try to go ahead and uh you know stay on that path number one but realize what a powerful uh, uh vehicle social media has been for them and it's kind of sad here we are you know we should be celebrating the the achievements that that nasa's done over the past 55 years and and looking forward to uh, more achievements as we we move on but uh you know here we are we're talking about this government shutdown which is kind of sort of stolen the thunder and it, it, it's it's really kind of eh, kind of sad here that, that that's happened but uh uh you know we'll we'll 
soldier on and and there's there's more stuff uh, more good nasa goodness on the way stand by guys this is a bump of the road but we'll get through it exactly now before we beat the dead horse i do just want to throw one quick thing in to wrap it up right back to the beginning how you mentioned you got a letter from somebody overseas and that's one thing that i found really interesting is i was reading an article actually it was um one of the nature.com blogs of all things and it discussed uh somebody who was from germany from heidelberg germany the Max Planck Institute, and he's coming over to the Ames Research Center to use their labs to do this study. Um, And the study is on some properties of extremophiles, which, if you don't know, are organisms that thrive in extreme environments, like in the extreme cold or the extreme heat here on Earth, which might lead to possibilities of life in other places in the solar system, the study of astrobiology. The thing is, he took them from seed culture to growing them to continually feeding them. The thing is, they're in the lab. They're not being fed. They're dying. Simple little things like that. And if this doesn't happen, then he's going to have to start again in a month. And he only has a three-month U.S. visa. So he's not going to have enough time. He's going to have to go back, refile for the visa again, then re-get all the samples, regrow them, wait a month after that, and then finally get to go back into the labs, all this because of the shutdown. So it's not just affecting here in the U.S. It's affecting scientists around the world. Yes, sir, a good point. And um, again, I'm going to go ahead and, and thank my friend. I, I didn't rec- I didn't formally recognize him, uh, and I do apologize for that. Uh, Mr. Uh, Prato, P-R-A-T-O, Paolo, P-A-O-L-O. I'm sorry if I botched your name. I do, you know, it wasn't intentional, but... Um, again, thanks for the note, and uh, I'm sorry that it, I hope I, I try to explain the the storm here a little bit that's going on, but uh, it's a temporary bump of the road. We'll get through it. It's just politics as usual. Things will settle down, and the world will continue revolving on its axis. Trust me. <laughs> exactly. So again, with that, we have beat that dead horse to death as if the regular media didn't do it enough, so we will end that topic there. And instead, we're going to go to another relatively popular topic, and that is commercial space. If you might not have heard, we discussed it a few weeks ago about the scheduled docking of Cygnus having some issues, but they have finally docked, and Gene covered that entire event and can fill us in a little bit more about what's going on with Orbital and with SpaceX and their Falcon 9.1. Yeah, sir, thanks a whole bunch. The uh, To reiterate, the uh, good ship uh, G. David Lowe uh, docked with the International Space Station back on September 29th at about 7.01 or 7 o'clock, depending on who you're following. I have actually two uh, unofficial times. I'm still trying to figure out and backtrack. I heard actually seven o'clock was the actual uh, official uh, docking time. That's seven a.m. Eastern Daylight Time. I know I'm being the the, the naughty American again and, and using EDT. I do apologize. Um, this was after a little bit of a, uh, a glitch that occurred the previous week um, or the previous Sunday after, right after launch. Uh, Cygnus was the Cygnus spacecraft was approaching the ISS and uh, first you know started talking to its computers and uh, Cygnus noticed that there was just one little patch of data that it really didn't like and just said you know I'm not comfortable dealing with this and basically said no I'm not going to approach so that forced Orbital sort of back to the drawing board to figure out what this patch was they actually got the patch done and in in record time uh and was probably ready to support a docking on on tuesday but um both nasa and orbital kind of sort of talked this all out said look we've got a uh soyuz docking on wednesday which also docked successfully and brought the iss crew complement up to uh back up to six again but um we do have this this docking here why don't we just pull back let the Soyuz, you know, dock, and then why don't we pull back until you know, say, the weekend, and and you know, so a everybody's rested, and everybody can go ahead and and make sure that this is a success. And uh, 
both sides, NASA and Orbital, kind of agreed that that was the best course of action. So on September 29th, um, uh, the good ship G. David Loeb made its approach to the ISS, and it was an absolute, uh, absolutely flawless uh, uh, grapple and uh, eventual berthing to the International Space Station. Along the way, Orbital went ahead and checked off all 10 items that it had to go ahead and prove during this, uh, this COTS mission. And, uh, you know, before I, I go any further, I'm going to let uh, Alan Lindemoyer himself from the, the, the press conference here describe what COTS was all about and um, what, what NASA was hoping to achieve with the entire uh, COTS program. And because it, it did wonders uh, because of because of what's occurred now, um, we've got some tremendous assets that uh, this nation can 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 use going forward for other purposes, other probably other purposes other than the ISS. But um, Sawyer, could you run for me, please, Alan Lindemoyer's comments from the the twenty ninth? Sure thing. We started the program with three goals. One was to place strategic investments to kickstart the commercial space industry, not knowing if anything would actually emerge from that. But we knew that we needed to place um, these investments to, to, to remove the significant barriers to entry in such, such a tough industry. Our second goal was to see the development of new commercial space transportations that lower cost that could provide safe, reliable, and, 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 and cost-effective access to lower Earth orbit and the International Space Station. And the third was to become a customer for these services once, once they emerged. I think we can say today conclusively that we've added another partner to the list that helped us achieve these goals 100%. We now have two new launch vehicles, two new state-of-the-art autonomous spacecraft capable of carrying cargo to uh, manned destinations, human destinations in, in space, and returning uh, with such critical science and experiments that we need to continue our exploration. Two new launch pads, two new mission controls, and the entire infrastructure to support uh, these new systems. Uh, so I, I think it, 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 it was a, a great day uh, culminating with the successes of, of the program in meeting those goals. Yes. Yeah, so uh, anyway, that ends the COTS program, really, uh, with the uh, successful docking of, uh, of Cygnus. And uh, it, it was it's it's still quite a program, quite a legacy to leave behind, as uh, as Alan Lindemoyer alluded to. But uh, Frank Culbertson of uh, Orbital Sciences also had some wonderful comments, and I think too it, it kind of alludes to what it really really took to get uh, to get to that moment. And uh, Sawyer, if you could do me a favor and, and run uh, Mr. Culbertson's comments for me, please. This would not have been done without the students and professionals in this country that weren't inspired to go into science, technology, engineering, and math. Uh, what you see, saw today was the product of American education system and and the, the students, the men and women that are willing to keep going with math with, with math when it gets hard and uh, who are willing to, to do these kind of jobs that take a lot of patience and, and a lot of expertise and, uh, and, and some hair pulling and some heartache sometime, like the, the last week. But, um, but these, are the, these are the people that will continue to lead this country in technology and continue to lead the world, we hope, in exploration uh, as we continue to support the International Space Station. So I guess what Frank Culbertson was trying to say is if, again, you're a uh, small you know, child listening to us, and um, I hope you are, uh, this, you know, and you, you're finding this math stuff kind of difficult, and you're trying to, you know, really, really struggle with it. Keep struggling with it. Don't give up, because you two could be up there one of these days talking about something spectacular that you've done 
in by way of some sort of engineering feat in space or or some sort of uh, you know science science related uh, uh, contribution to space flight. So you know, stick with it. You know, don't don't give up. Don't don't uh, don't don't throw in the towel. Stick with it because you two could be doing some really magnificent things. And from you know, what I could gather uh, with uh, with Frank Colbertson, at least you know when I talked to him back in in April, he seems to be somebody that was this this is so sort of a real big deal with him. So you know, again, stick with it, guys, because you two could beat off and and making a contribution to um, to humanity as far as uh, as as far as spaceflight is concerned if you go ahead and and try to acquire the tools that you need to make those contributions. And that of course is, is a, is a degree in, in, in a science mathematics or uh, technical engineering uh, area. And uh, so, so don't, don't, don't give up, keep, keep struggling with it. Um, again, hats off to orbital sciences. They, they pulled it off and made it look easy. None of this is easy. And uh, again, it was a fitting tribute to, um, um, David Lowe, who is responsible for uh, uh, a key uh, participant in in making Cygnus work, unfortunately, we lost David Lowe to uh, to cancer uh, before all, he could actually see his uh, his brainchild uh, come to uh, come to life, and his name was attached to uh, this particular Cygnus vehicle. the The story isn't over yet with Cygnus; um, it will uh, leave the ISS. On uh, October 22nd, and uh, uh, for a uh, re-entry into the Earth's atmosphere, Cygnus is not like uh, the uh, SpaceX Dragon. The Dragon can go ahead and give you some down mass, which means it can return uh, things from the ISS, you know, samples and what have you that you'd like to go ahead and bring back home. Cygnus can't do that. Uh, it doesn't have a heat shield. Um, one of the pluses that Cygnus does have is a, is that it is a pure cargo vehicle, and an upgraded version of that uh, of that pure cargo vehicle uh, is expected shortly. And I believe it's going to give us even more uh, of a of a cargo ability to to send things to the I, to the ISS. Now, Orbital wasn't the only one making news. In fact, toward the tail end of that press conference. Uh, the new version of the Falcon 9 uh, booster, what they've dubbed the uh, the Falcon 9 1.1, made its debut. It was launching a uh, scientific uh, probe uh, for the uh, uh, Canadian Space Agency. This probe was designed by uh, Donald Detweiler, and that was its, its primary mission. But uh, uh, it, this particular Falcon 9 had had some interesting features to it that never had flown before. It finally had a fairing. You never needed that on any other Falcon 9 launch because there would always be a, like a dragon attached to it. Uh, this time you needed to design a fairing for the, uh, for the spacecraft you're carrying aloft. Um, this particular vehicle was launched out of uh, Vandenberg Air Force Base into a polar orbit. Um, one of, but one of the interesting aspects to this Falcon 9 was that it had um, well some well grasshopper technology on board. It was sort of testing the ability for the first stage to uh, to come back and possibly soft land. They were going to go ahead and, and test this first stage to see if it, it could make a soft landing into the Pacific Ocean. Now, I don't know if, if that they had a specific target in mind in the ocean or a specific latitude, longitude, something like that, but. Um, uh, that was one of the objectives to have the, the the first stage of the Falcon 9 sort of soft land somewhere in the Pacific Ocean where it could be recovered. The objective of Grasshopper, for those of you who don't know, the Grasshopper booster is to have the entire first stage and second stage totally re reusable. Both first stage and second stage returning on a propulsive reentry and landing at a specific place that. Uh, uh, you know, the, that SpaceX wants these vehicles to land so then this way they could go ahead and reuse them. We've kind of sort of scratched our head on that one, but um, as far as why would you really want to do that? But I guess what SpaceX is trying to do here to see is A, if it's possible, and B, 
I guess they expect too to be launching a lot, you know. So, and I figured that that's what they're 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 hoping for because that's the way you're going to make money off of that off of the reusable business model. Anyway, the the launch went off well, okay, but how could I put this? The coverage sort of cut off at a point where. Well, we didn't know about a if the uh, first stage had done what it was supposed to do, which was soft land somewhere, and b if the um, delivery of the Casio telescope, which is a uh, which again was the a- a- aforementioned um, uh, satellite that it was that it was delivering, we didn't hear if if that was actually delivered and put into the orbit that uh, it really, really should have been. Um, which all of this kind of sort of led to a mystery about, um, well, what happened here. Now, supposedly there were, out of this thing, there was, there was also supposed to be about a few other little you know, microsats also launched. So you, we were expecting about maybe to track about six objects out from the second stage of the Falcon 1.1. Well, we tracked about 20 of these things, and we're not sure what was going on. Um, space SpaceX is claiming that it was foam insulation from the uh, from somewhere in the on board the on the on board the booster, um, a Russian blog by the name of Zarya sort of speculated that perhaps there was an explosion on board the uh, the second stage of the Falcon Nine. Uh, to it, uh, Elon Musk wrote uh, Mashable and just absolutely denied the fact that there was an explosion. Um, and to uh, to quote SpaceX, and and this is this is a direct quote from them here regarding the rumors that you may have heard about the Falcon Nine second stage. In short, our data confirms there was no rupture of any kind on the second stage, following separation of the satellites to their correct orbit. The Falcon Nine stage underwent a controlled venting of propellants, and the stage was successfully saved. During this process, it's, it's possible insulation came off of the fuel fuel dome on the second stage and is the source of what some observers incorrectly interpreted as a rupture of the second stage. Now, with respect, and, and, and I, I've talked about this all here before, but if, if you go through what we normally see, like say on NASA television during a launch, um, or if, uh, if you know United Launch Alliance is is launching something that um, is not of a military nature, we usually hang around and and see the entire sequence. We didn't see that this time, but yet we we did see a lot of celebrating in in Hawthorne of a lot of you know twenty somethings yelling and screaming and going yeehaw. Um, if if you go ahead and show the entire launch then you don't have these problems. You don't have these little mysteries. And I think if you keep having, you know, if you keep going ahead and prematurely cutting things off like that, you're going to lead to little mysteries like this. And, um, I mean, gosh darn it, SpaceX, I really want you to succeed because if you succeed, there's a lot more stuff opening up. Um, I, I want to, I want to, you know, tell your story. I want to tout what you're doing. I want to yell it to the high heavens. But gosh darn it, don't make my job harder. Don't, you know, you know, try to leave these little breadcrumbs lying around and have us back over here speculating. Because also now, and I'm going to quote an article from, from Space News, you know, insurance, the insurance industry is taking a look at this. And, you know, it's you – know, you're hurting yourself in the process. So try to be a little bit more transparent, guys. That's all I'm saying. Um, and then maybe these little mysteries that you have will, will, will kind of sort of go away. And, uh, if you're totally and completely open, so, you know, sorry, I'm going to, sorry, Mark, I'm going to throw it to you guys. 
I have to admit, that's something that we've been saying. I mean, we mentioned this the last time that SpaceX had an actual issue with the Dragon. It, that they were, even NASA, they were just reading off Elon Musk's tweets in the press conference. And again, they, they need a better way to communicate with the people. And then there may not be as many speculations. And, you know, I understand it's private space. It's not like the U.S. government where they're required to be open and show everything, whether it be successful or failure. But, you know... I don't know. Was there actually a problem? Elon Musk says no. Uh, we can't confirm it. But it does seem a little odd that pieces of insulation, which is what they're saying, might have come off, would be that that big and that recognizable that they'd be detected by these agencies that track space debris. Yes, sir. A good point. Another thing, too, is you would never think there was a launch. Uh, if you looked at the SpaceX Twitter feed that day, uh, Jeff Faust from uh, uh, the Space Review pointed that out. Um, True. I, were... I didn't even know it was happening. I know that yeah. we discussed it happening on the show, and I totally forgot. I didn't see a whole bunch of tweets on it. I didn't see that many people talking about it. So you just kind of forget about it. Yeah, and I, I tried to figure out what the heck was going on, um, why why that feed was kind of quiet, too. I guess they let the, they let the, the man in charge go ahead and and take point on on twitter but you know you gotta keep an official deal open and i think too if you had the 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 spacex um folks even just even our team what the guy was saying that would have would have worked too but uh you know again you got to be more transparent guys i mean sorry i remember what you were talking about when the solar panels failed to unfurl we were kind of living and dying by by elon musk's tweets even nasa pao was and i thought it was just an odd way to do business um uh, as far as uh as far as doing that that's concerned and and you know again it it really really makes me kind of scratch my head a little bit every time i i deal with you know we deal with those guys but again, if they were a little bit more transparent, I, you know, you wouldn't have these mysteries. So try to be a little more transparent, guys. That's all I'm saying. So we've got all of that going on with Orbital and all of this going on with SpaceX. I don't even know if that's everything. It ain't. <laughs> <laughs> and this um, is relatively new news as well that I haven't seen much about. Yeah, unfortunately, it looks like the honeymoon's over between Orbital and uh, the the folks that run uh, the Mid-Atlantic Regional Spaceport, the Virginia Commercial Spaceflight Authority. Apparently, Orbital is suing um, the state of Virginia and the the folks that run Mars, uh, the Mid-Atlantic Re- Regional Spaceport, to the tune of $16.5 million dollars. Uh, this is for uh, the fact that Orbital picked up some of the cost overruns for equipment um, while they were building uh, Pad Zero A, and Orbital, you know, I believe Sawyer, they they said that uh, um, we'd buy the stuff, and and in the hopes that uh, uh, Virginia, the state of Virginia, would go ahead and buy the stuff back from Orbital, and they did not do that. And Orbital is saying, okay, fine, then we want our sixteen point five million dollars. So uh, I guess the honeymoon's over in Virginia, but uh, uh, from what I'm reading here, that again, this is a space news article dated October 4th. Um, uh, neither Dale Nash, who's the executive director of uh, Virgin- the Virginia Commercial Spaceflight Authority, or uh, Barry Bineski, who is uh, PAO for uh, Orbital, had uh, had commented to uh, to Space News at the time. This was a article dated. Uh, October 4th by Dan Leone and uh, it kind of describes what's going on but uh, yeah it looks like the honeymoon's over folks. That's amazing so basically it seems like they were going to pay them money and they didn't have the money to buy parts for parts of the uh, launch pad uh, to the tune of 16.5 million dollars and Orbital's like okay we put our money in we've launched now pay us back and they're saying no so am I understanding that correctly? Yeah, well, the, the state of Virginia is basically saying we don't have the money right now. And uh, Orbital is saying, well, too bad. We want our money. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you very much. We we did this in good faith, and, and that's that. So, um, well, we'll keep an eye on this and see how this all turns out. So, boy, is it busy in the commercial realm of space. But there's still stuff going on in NASA 
terms and in NASA missions. And to finish off round one, we'll hand it off to Mark. Well, let's talk uh, briefly about Juno, one of my favorite missions. I got to see Juno launch on August 5th of 2011. And guess what? Juno's coming back. I would like for you to take this break from the NASA.gov websites and go to Mission Juno, that's J as in Juliet, U-N-O, Mission Juno, dot s-w-r-i dot e-d-u and you will find a whole series of web pages that tell the story about the mission the spacecraft and the earth flyby which they have a counter there and by the time that we post this show it will have flown by as we record this show there is a counter that shows the time to earth flyby of course by the time you hear this it will have flown by earth but Currently, it has one day, 17 hours, 39 minutes, and 13, 12, 11, 10 seconds. It's going to fly by at a fairly low altitude, 300 and some miles, and it's going to pick up a nice big gravity boost of acceleration, gravitational slingshot, that's going to take it on out to Jupiter. The anticipated orbit will be in August of 2016, and then Juno will start one year of science. So it has a six-year mission, five years in cruise, and one year on orbit. And they're actually doing something I think is kind of fun. They have a Say Hi to Juno event that begins during its approach to Earth, where they are enlisting the aid of ham radio operators to send Morse code messages to Juno. And one of the experiments on the Juno spacecraft is called WAVES, and it should be able to detect the message if enough people participate. It is designed to pick up radio energy phenomena in Jupiter's atmosphere, and uh, why not test it out on Earth with ham radio operators as the source? So, Juno, we'll see you here shortly, and uh, wave goodbye as you swing around and head on to Jupiter. Looking forward to when the science phase of that mission starts. Hey, Mark, if um, somebody wanted to learn more about the uh, the ham radio event and wanted to participate, they could go to that to the site you mentioned as well? It's uh, one of the pages on missionjuno.swri.edu. All right, and, cool. And uh, there's a, on the main page, there's a link there that says, say hi to Juno. Oh, that's cool. I'll have to go ahead and, I know some schools over there that have got, you know, uh, ham, uh, uh, licenses and so on. We'll have to go ahead and get the word out. But uh, indeed, let's let's do that. Indeed, as a ham radio operator myself, I'll see what I can do. And in the meantime, you can of course look for that link in the show notes. Thank you, Mark. Yeah, indeed. All right. So as weird of an order as that was, that brings us to the end of round number one, and we now move on to round number two. And for this one, we're talking about space shuttles, and uh, it's. Not actually one of the flown shuttles. As you might remember, the Space Shuttle Explorer, which was on display at the Kennedy Space Center Visitor Complex, was taken from the Kennedy Space Center and given to Space Center Houston, who then stripped it of its name Explorer and asked the residents of Texas through the web to name the shuttle. It ran from July 4th through September 2nd, and entrants were asked to submit names that Quote, captured the state's qualities of optimism and can-do attitude, close quote. And it was official. It was revealed this past weekend that the name for the shuttle would be Independence. The final display will be the Orbiter Independence, as it's now newly named, atop NASA's shuttle carrier aircraft, NASA 905. And that will be a $12 million six-story attraction, which is currently under development and should be completed by 2015. It was a naming contest and the 29-year-old winner is Tim Judd of Kingwood, Texas, who for coming up with that winning name will get a big VIP package and some behind-the-scenes tours. Now, this is an interesting name, Independence, because it was one of the considered names for the first shuttle, which was named Constitution and eventually renamed Enterprise. And it also shares another interesting name with an orbiter, right? 
<laughs> yeah, well, um, this is from one of the most. Uh, well, it, it's it's from one of the most dreadful. One of the most dreadful pictures, uh, as far as uh, asteroid collision pictures are are concerned. This is from Armageddon, and if you remember, there were two orbiters on there. There was Freedom and Independence, and unfortunately, the Independence was one of the ones that didn't quite make it home. <laughs> I think Freedom was the only one that made it home in the movie. Yeah, so <laughs> this one's still intact. Uh, and no Bruce Willis in sight. <laughs> Thank you. So it's all good. I was a little surprised, though. I was waiting for someone to pitch the name Colbert. Oh, no, Sawyer, please don't. Well, it's too late. It's named. The contest is over. He can't. He can't invade it now because those who don't remember when they were trying to name the new Node Three for the International Space Station, uh, Colbert got involved and ended up winning, which they did not name it after him. So they named it Tranquility, and he was given a treadmill. So uh, I'm glad this naming contest went a little bit smoother. Yeah, it did there. And um also I'm kind of uh, happy too for for that particular orbiter because you know when it was over at KSC it was you know it was nice it, it was one of the the uh, the vessels you could go ahead and board and kind of get an idea of what the dimensions were inside the orbiter and and look across into the payload bay over there there was a really neat neat uh exhibit and really showed demonstrated to uh to a visitor how uh how enormous that payload bay was but now its new home is going to be perched atop as you pointed out sir that nasa 905 and uh it is going to make one heck of a unique exhibit for uh uh for the houston area so this is this is going to be kind of cool to see that that thing kind of perched on on top of that uh that NASA 905, and it'll give you an idea too, and how uh, how that stack looked while it was uh, transporting the orbiters. So, again, hats off to uh, the Houston area. Good name, appropriate name name for uh, for a ship like that, and uh, and uh, bravo! I'm looking forward to uh, to seeing actually what this exhibit's going to look like once it's done. It's going to be magnificent. Exactly. I I think all of us have seen the stack in person. At least I know yeah. I have, and Mark has. Did you have Eugene? I the only time I saw it is when Enterprise flew over, and it was it was uh, I saw it from from uh, Liberty State Park, and it was amazing. Oh yeah, it was jaw dropping awesome, and I remember some of the traffic on Twitter for the flybys of Discovery coming in and around Washington area, and I know the same thing happened uh, with Enterprise to New York and Endeavor out at L.A. and wow. Yeah, and I was up close with. Um, Enterprise on top of NASA 905, and that, getting up close to it was amazingly spectacular. It is big, and my favorite thing still that I won't forget is after going to the event uh, at JFK Airport when it landed, is driving away and looking in my rearview mirror and just seeing a space shuttle on top of a 747, you know, just ordinary things you see in your rearview mirror when driving at the airport. (laughs) But I'm looking forward to seeing this, um, and we'll see. So Independence is now officially printed on the side of the 123-foot-long replica, or 37-meter-long, for our overseas listeners. So, it's there. And keep in mind, the previous name of the shuttle was Explorer, which shares the name of the shuttle in a new movie that hit number one on the box offices this past weekend that's related to space. And... Gene went to go see it, and we're going to do our best to keep it spoiler-free, especially since I have not seen it either. But, Gene? Yeah, Sawyer, the, the name of the, the shuttle that everybody was kind of sort of talking about was named Explorer. Um, unfortunately, it, too, shared the same fate as Independence and didn't fare all that well. Um, to to go ahead and, and uh, bring this a little bit uh, into into uh light here the uh the, the motion picture gravity uh premiered uh, this week um alfonso Cuarón's uh, uh, uh new film it uh basically did extraordinarily well for an opening weekend um uh here in uh here in the united states at least 50 i believe it, it earned about 56 million dollars which 
um, was is unprecedented for an October release. Um, the movie surrounds it, it's basically a, a classic survival uh, film uh, in space. If you recall the film uh, uh, Martin Caden's uh, Marooned. Um, and I'll allude again to Ron Howard's Apollo 13. This is right up there. Uh, in fact, the cinematography is amazing. It, it made you literally feel like this thing was shot on, you know, on location. Um, it, I'm trying not to go ahead and give too much of the storyline away and too much of the, uh, uh, of, of too many spoilers. I really don't want to do that because I know some of the audience has not seen it yet and may want to. Myself but, included. Yeah, so I'm going to try to, to try to resist uh, going into too much depth, but I will say that um, uh, as a honest to yeah, as an honest to god film, I enjoyed it immensely. There are enough, you know, operational and um, scientific holes to to fly the space launch system through a lot of the stuff. But um, in some instances, too, they, they actually did use a lot of good, honest-to-God hardware, or it looks like they did anyway. Um, it looks like the, the Soyuz was, was fairly done very well. It looks like, too, we got inside the, uh, the Xianxu, but uh, vehicle or China's vehicle. Um, it, 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 but we have no idea if that's really, really the exact layout or not. Uh, what what can I really talk about? It it, it essentially involves um, a, a a U.S. space shuttle crew that's up there tr- servicing the Hubble Space Telescope. All of a sudden, they get a word that uh, Russia, oddly enough, Russia in this case, has conducted an ASAT test and knocked out one of their defunct satellites. And the debris from that has caused a cascading effect that is basically taking out comm satellites right and left. And debris from all of that is heading their way, and it's on their vector. Um, it's interesting, too, to, to, to see that in the movie here, the Russians are so, kind of sort of painted out to be the bad guys uh, because it's been the Chinese that have actually conducted the past two anti-satellite weapon tests, one in 2007 and another one recently, just, just uh, I believe it was just last year. Um, so if... But I think because of uh, the fact that the uh, American movies are really, really loved in China and they're really trying to sell this movie in China, they painted the Russians out to be the bad guys in this one. And oddly enough, it's the Shenzi vehicle that acts as the uh, the sort of uh, hero in this in this and and uh, um, in in this particular movie. And I'm not going to go ahead and go any further than that, but. Um, a lot of uh, current and former astronauts love the film. Uh, I saw um, Clay Anderson uh, tweet about it, saying he, he he liked it. Uh, uh, Tom Jones wrote something rather rather complimentary about it. Uh, who who's been on this this program, um, uh, you know about about the film, and uh, he said he enjoyed it immensely. Some other astronauts too have kind of sort of chimed in and said, "Yeah, this is pretty darn good." If I could just throw one thing in, one thing that I've heard a lot from astronauts is not just the fact that they really enjoyed the movie, and same with the two astronauts I'm thinking of with Chris Hadfield and Mike Fossum, but yeah. like both of them said, uh, one of them publicly, one of them on their Facebook page, uh, they said that it's one of their real fears. I know Chris Hadfield talked that he was scared about it, and Mike Fossum on Facebook when talking about the movie said he absolutely loved it, but even though he thinks he'll never get the chance again, he doesn't want to do another spacewalk almost after seeing the movie. Yeah. I mean, you know, a lot of astronauts have said you are acutely aware of, of the situation you are in and you're constantly checking tethers to make sure you're in good shape. I mean, one of, one of the things, one of the technical issues I had problem with, um, was they kind of forgot about the safer uh, which as uh, space aficionados know is sort of tied to the uh, to the backpack of uh, a lot of the current the current suit anyway, and that safer is uh, is a small little pack that makes sure that uh, if just in case you become untethered, you've got a a few thrusters on on the bottom there that can go ahead and get you back to uh, where you need to be. 
but uh, yeah, that that's one of the. From what I, I recall, uh, a lot of uh, the astronauts saying that that's one one thing that you are acutely aware of. You you understand the situation you are in, and uh, um, it, it it makes you you're much more aware and much more alert of your predicament and uh, and 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 the precarious nature of things. And uh, I'm wondering too if. If a lot of astronauts under you know would you know are going, uh, do I really want to do this later on when they go ahead and actually do an EVA? Then they might have seen this movie. So, Gene, you've seen this movie. Mm-hmm. Would you recommend going to see it? Yeah, I'd I'd give it a thumbs up. I mean, um, again, I, I will advise, however, that a lot of a lot of folks that follow the U.S. space program or follow the space program in general kind of check their brain at the door. And just sit back and enjoy the film. I, I had I couldn't do it myself because of what I you know what I, I'm apt to say here. But knowing, hearing that that my 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 team has not heard that you know seen the film yet, I'm not going to go ahead and point that uh, you know <laughs> point out all of the the issues. There, uh, Dr. Phil Plate has already done a pretty good article on his uh, bad astronomy blog on Slate.com. If you want to take a look at it, he's done a a pretty good job of, uh, of sort of dissecting the thing and noticing what I noticed. Um, I tried not to read that article before, uh, going to see it in the hopes that, uh, you know, I didn't really, you know, like you Sawyer, I didn't want to have a whole bunch of spoilers as I was walking in the door, but, um, it, it, it's a white knuckle ride as far as a survival film. It, it, and I thought it was done very, very well. It's in the same vein of Martin Caden's Marooned, and of course uh, um, Apollo thirteen, which was actually which, which is really recounts a true story. But um, uh, I, I definitely go see it. I mean, again, just for the cinematography alone, and and the way they they try to really, really give you the experience of uh, of of flying through uh, flying in, in in Earth in Earth orbit. Um, and also too, it, to bear the issue, and we've talked about this before on our program here about, uh, orbital debris and, uh, how critical it is really to, uh, to monitor these things and, um, and to, to understand your situational awareness while you're up there because, um, the ISS itself in its history has had to dodge, um, debris clouds several times, um, it's never been hit, as far as I know, by a major debris cloud. Of course, micrometeorite shields kind of, you know, micrometeorite impacts, you know, hit ha- happen all the time. But um, as far as actually getting, you know, getting stuck in a in a in a swarm like that, ISS has never had to deal with that. And it is a, a could something like that happen? Well, maybe not to the magnitude that um, they portray here, but. Yeah, I mean, this is why orbital debris is a problem. We need to track it. We need to understand it, and we need to do something about it. And and this this film really, really brings it to bear. I mean, over the weekend too, there was an interesting piece on sixty minutes from the uh, B six twelve Foundation about uh, about you know near Earth asteroids. It kind of falls in kind of neatly with this problem too. And they mentioned the the Chablinsk, um event in uh, earlier this year and uh, how it's important to go ahead and monitor the skies and see what's going on uh, you know in addition to dealing with the man-made problem of uh, of orbital debris so um uh again it's it's, it's something too that uh, uh we want to keep in mind but from a from a motion picture standpoint yeah you definitely want to go see this this was definitely a a white knuckle knuckle ride and I kept you guessing to the very end. So uh, if you guys, you know, I, I'd plunk down the money and, and go see the film. All right. So our resident movie buff gives you a thumbs up to go see it. And from what I've heard of everyone else as well, just ignore the inaccuracies and enjoy the movie. And if you can see it in IMAX 3D, that's my plan at least. All right. So that brings us to the end of this episode to its conclusion. But before we conclude, Docking Space has a big announcement to make. If you may have seen or not seen, Talking Space is now an official member of the brand new Spaceflight Group. 
So we will be contributing to them. They will be helping out some stuff here on our show, and we're looking forward to a great partnership with all of the teams over at the Space Flight Group. And a special thanks to Jason Rion for helping us become a partner, and we're looking forward to working with everyone over there. So if you get a chance and you want to learn a little bit more about them, the best thing to do is to check out their Facebook page and give it a like. So that is the Space Flight Group on Facebook. And search them and give them a like as well. And while you're there, give Talking Space a like on Facebook if you haven't already. Yeah, sure. That This is going to open up a lot of doors for us. Um, it'll give us a lot of opportunity to share different content from other individuals. Uh, we'll have a lot more people behind these microphones, too, that are willing to contribute to... Uh, uh, to the show and, and in turn, um, we'll be contributing to, uh, to them as well. So I think it's, it's going to be a fine partnership and I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. Yes, indeed. So some great things in store with that. So with that, that brings this episode to its official conclusion. I'd like to thank everybody who joined us here tonight. Thank you for joining us, Gene McCulka. It's been fun, Sawyer. Can't wait for next time. Looking forward to it as well. And thank you as well for joining us, Mark Ratterman. And we're off or we will be as soon as Sawyer says so. I indeed will say so. We'll be off shortly, but we will be back. And until then, as always, have a great day, night, evening, or whatever it may be, where you are. (laughs) 